help with the singing or? We just say, I just figured it takes too long to sit down and stand up for you. Yeah. 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 You, know, you know my rule is that if you want to sit down, that's fine. You have to sing. You got to sing. I'm not going to make you guys stand up because, you know. You need to sing better. That's right. You your diet So those who are able body, you can't hear me while you don't have to. But. Here we go, number 54. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassion, they fail not. As thou hast been the forever will be. Great thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their forces above. Join with all nature in magnificent witness to thy great faithfulness. Earth, 
Jesus sings, Jesus sings. Sing above the battle shine. Jesus sings, Jesus sings. By the death and the time. Jesus sings, Jesus sings. Singing softly through the gloom. When the heart from mercy breaks, sing in triumph for the truth. Jesus sings, Jesus sings. Hear the winds of mighty voice. Jesus sings, Jesus sings. Let the nations now rejoice. Jesus sings, Jesus sings. Shout out an full and free, by its hills and deep its saints. This our song of victory, Jesus saints, Jesus saints. Good, very good. One more, I'm saying 516, 516. Love to tell the story. I must to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It's satisfied my longings, as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story, twill be my theme in glory, to tell the old story of Jesus and his love. Loves to tell the story, tis pleasant to repeat. What seems each time I tell it, more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story, for some have never heard. From God's own holy word, I love to tell the story, twill be my theme in glory, to tell the old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story for those who know it best. Seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when it seems a glory, I sing a new, new song. Will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. I love to tell the story, twill be my theme glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Let's just pray. Our Father in thank you again for allowing us to wake up this morning. Thank you for the Lord's Day. Thank you for an opportunity to gather together here this evening uh, to hear what the Lord is doing in Cyprus and other parts of the world, Lord. Uh, we're thankful uh, to have the Madisons here. Thank you for the blessing that that is. And uh, we're thankful for them uh, making time out of their busy schedule to come visit us uh, tonight. And Lord God, we just ask that you bless them for that. And even tomorrow as they travel again, we just pray for traveling mercies for them. Uh, we think of their daughter who's going to Emmaus uh, very shortly. We pray for blessings on that. And we also think of their other daughter who's being married very soon as well. And so we just uh, pray for all these things that are going on in their lives. And we, again, just uh, thank you for 
uh, your loving kindness towards us. Uh, thank you again for our time together this evening, Lord. Just pray to be encouraging to us. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Jared. Okay, hopefully we're all wired for sound here. And uh, thank you for coming out on a Sunday evening when maybe you had other things planned. But thank you for prioritizing God's work. And uh, it's our joy to share what God is doing in the Middle East. Uh, you know, I was reading a story from David this morning on my devotions. And it talks about how when they lost Ziklag, they went after those people who had terrorized that town and burnt it and taken their wives and course there was a desperate situation so they take off after them 600 men strong but they only can get so far they get to a crossing and 200 of those men just can't continue and so david says you guys stay here take care of the baggage and we're going to keep going on we're going to press on and they do they press on and they capture uh, those that have sacked their city and have taken their wives and they they rout them and they're able to bring back a whole lot of uh, loot a whole lot of, of course, their wives and everything that they'd lost. And they come back, and this uh, group of folks that are, that are waiting for them, they're all excited, you know, welcome back. And, and, uh, and some of these guys that came back said, okay, that's nice, but, uh, you know, you don't get any of the loot. None of the spoils go to you because you didn't fight. And David says, no, that's wrong. Well, what do you mean? No, we, he says, you're going to share the spoils equally. And they said, well, why? Because they waited here faithfully, right? And implied in that is that even though they didn't have the opportunity to go and fight physically, they faithfully stood behind these men and surely prayed for their success. And David rewards that by saying they are equally entitled to uh, the booty, and to the spoils. And it's true in missions work. We, we don't all get to go out to be uh, fighting, as it were, on the, on the front lines. But what you do here is no less significant. And you are equally entitled to the spoils. Right? And so tonight we want to share the spoils of what God is doing on the other side of the world. And to I hope you recognize that you are intricately involved in this through your prayers and support and just being tuned into what's happening there and really charging the gates of heaven uh, through your entreaties, that matters. It's significant. It's no less than those who have actually been there uh, fighting on the front lines, as it were. So my wife and I and our three children have had the joy of serving in the Middle East now more than 20 years. Our kids have grown up, all born in Turkey, and uh, now they're all sprouting wings and moving along. In fact, we're going to be adding another to our family. So my oldest daughter, Ishail, is marrying a young Turkish brother. And I'll tell you more about that a little farther along. We also have a house full of other children from Afghanistan and Syria and Iraq, young ladies who we've had the joy of rescuing from those countries. And we've offered them scholarship opportunities in Cyprus. And so they are like our children, like our daughters. And I'll introduce you to more of them as well. We live in the island of Cyprus, right in the Mediterranean there, close to across from Syria and Lebanon. Uh, it's a beautiful little island. Uh, of course, historically very significant in the travels of Paul and Barnabas. Today, the island is divided. So we live in the northern section, which is known as the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus. The rest of the island speaks Greek. Uh, and so this the island has been divided now, sadly, for uh, more than 45 years. And uh, there's a tension between the south and the north that we've had the joy of working in the north among the Turkish people. Because before moving to Cyprus nine years ago, we lived in Turkey in the mainland and had the joy of uh, helping to establish churches there for 12 years until I was uh, deported. Uh, I was deemed a threat to national security. And it's true. The gospel is a threat to uh, the security of the strongholds of Satan there and uh, the fact that they want to keep people imprisoned to Islam. And so the gospel does, in fact, uh, shatter those stereotypes and those, those chains. And so we live on the eastern side of the island, a city called Famagusta. You'll notice it's just a few kilometers south of Salamis, which is where Paul and Barnabas landed on their first missionary journey. Beautiful little town. Now, the island of Cyprus is rich with history. 
Of course, going back to Paul and Barnabas and many churches who were established at, from that time onwards. In fact, every village has a church or more. Uh, and our city, Famagusta, is known as the city of 365 churches. Uh, that's, there's that many of them. I don't know if they've actually counted them. But the idea being there's a church for every day of the year. Uh, and that's largely due to the fact that the Crusaders, after they lost the Holy Land, they retreated to the island of Cyprus. And so they built many churches. And so there's interesting kind of um, overtones of the French and the Venetians and the British who over the centuries have ruled the island. Um, of course, later on, the Sultan took it back and turned many of those churches into mosques. And to this day, uh, you see that as well. So it's a beautiful little island. It flies two flags. And that's because uh, although it's, uh, it claims to be a republic in its own right, it's a breakaway state that no one else recognizes because the Turkish military invaded the island in 1974 to protect their minority that was being oppressed by the Greeks uh, and never left, right? As far as the Greeks are concerned, it's Turkish-occupied territory. It's not a country. So we live in a non-country. And um, Turkey, though, recognizes it as an autonomous nation. And so it is very much a territory of Turkey. Some would say a puppet of Turkey. Uh, but it's very Turkish still. We love great the bits of culture there, Turkish coffee, and this very more relaxed culture, Mediterranean. But it also has a, a cosmopolitan feeling because it's attracting people from all over the Middle East. Um, when people think of Cyprus in the Middle East, they think of Las Vegas. Okay? It's kind of the Las Vegas of the Middle East. So uh, your average conservative Muslim Turk that wants to go to a casino or wants to go to a nightclub, you know, you don't find those things in mainland Turkey, but where do you go? Well, you go to Cyprus because that's where there's loads of nightclubs, casinos, and all these things. So sadly, it's made a name for itself for being very immoral. Um, at the same time, it's attracting students from all over the Middle East. They've, they've made a business out of it. And so they've established upwards of uh, 25, close to 30 universities in the north of the island alone. And so if you are from Iraq or Iran or Libya, uh, there's few places you can go with an Iranian passport, right? But Cyprus will take you and uh, they'll offer you education in their universities in English. Now, that means that we have over 100,000 students from all these Middle Eastern and uh, Far East Asian and European African countries kind of flocking to this island. Now that means for the gospel's sake, a great opportunity. That means that we get to interact with these people who are often uh, coming from otherwise closed countries, at least closed to us. And here they are coming to our backyard and speaking our native tongue because they're coming to study in English. And so we get to share the gospel with Persians and Iraqis and Arabs and Kazakhs from, you know, people from all over those countries uh, and, and see the Lord transform them. Now, the whole focus of our work always has to be built around making disciples. Jesus' command was really clear. So as much as we like uh, investing in local churches or involving ourselves in humanitarian efforts, these all need to come ultimately to be built upon the, the framework and the foundation of disciple-making. And that's the, ultimately the litmus test for anything we do. Am I making disciples? Right? Because that's what's going to last. Buildings are going to crumble, just like they're crumbling today in Cyprus. Uh, organizations that we build, they're going to fall apart. But disciples are one life Xeroxed upon another, and they keep uh, reproducing over long times. And we are the product of uh, disciple making that started with uh, Peter and Paul and John, and they, you know, made disciples, and it's made it this far, right? So we want to make sure everything we do uh, really is making disciples. In my wife's context, this means uh, doing it by counseling. My wife found out uh, over the years that women are very open to speak of the trauma that they've suffered, especially to a foreigner like her, uh, who, who will really listen to them, care for them, and, and whose prayers make a difference. And so over the years, she's just become, uh, as our kids have grown up and she has more time, now she has office hours. She has a little office, and from 9 to 5, she's taking in young women, uh, older women too, but women who uh, want to talk to her. And so there are going to be a whole variety of different issues. It can be some maybe sexual abuse from childhood or maybe a current situation with a boyfriend or maybe a divorce, uh, any number of different things that they're going to be dealing with. Women like to talk. 
men don't particularly like to come and spill their guts with me, but uh, women, for some reason, are more prone to do so, and my wife uses this as a great opportunity to reach into their lives. And uh, off, at the end, she will offer to pray for them. And so the word gets out. Well, there's this lady that listens and helps and gives great advice, and her prayers work. You know, things start changing. And so she's got a long list of people contacting her regularly. And on a daily basis, she might meet with six or seven young women from six or seven different countries around the world, uh, either in English or Turkish. One way or another, she communicates. And now she's been training up other young women like Manafshe here, who is her right-hand uh, gal, who helps her in the counseling now with Persian women, has other girls that do in Arabic, others that do it in in other different languages. So it's a booming, uh, kind of blossoming ministry and opportunity to to serve people there, especially the student community that comes to the island. You know, many of them come from very conservative countries, and suddenly here in Cyprus, everything goes. You can go to the nightclubs and the casinos, and there's prostitution, and there's partying, and you can imagine these young people get messed up really quick. And so this is where my wife can come in and help them and uh, piece their lives back together and meet the Lord Jesus. I, I meet with guys and uh, share with them. In this case, this is uh, Mohammed sitting with me from Iraq. And uh, he's a kind of a typical example of the modern young people from the Middle East. You know, we think of Muslims as all very conservative, very, you know, kind of almost like terrorists, right? But, you know, many in his generation have just uh, gotten sick of religion. They've seen how their societies, their countries have used uh, Islam in this case to manipulate people, to control the societies. It's just a tool by the government is highly politicized. And so they've just thrown it all out, right? And many of them have just jumped ship, watching YouTube videos of Richard Dawkins and whatnot to atheism or agnosticism. And so he was throwing beach uh, and, uh, pool parties for his friends in Iraq, um, this whole younger generation that just wants to have fun and has nothing to do with religion. Ends up marrying a young lady he meets there coming to Cyprus, and it doesn't take long. Of course, they have a baby that was unexpected, and it doesn't take long for their marriage to begin to suffer because they don't have... Uh, family network, and they also don't know how to run a marriage, right? Because they've given up on God, and it's hard to have a healthy marriage without God. Uh, So in this case, his wife heard about my wife and uh, came and was getting advice from her, getting some marriage advice. He came up to came up the, to the office one day to pick up the baby, and there I get a chance to meet him, and we struck up the conversation. They both speak very good Turkish, and so uh, as it turns out, uh, he says, you know, I'm, I don't believe in anything. I said, where, where do you feel you're at spiritually? And he was honest enough to say, you know, I feel lost. I feel lost. I don't know what I believe in, you know. I don't want to believe in what I've seen growing up, but I don't know if there's anything else worth believing in. And that led to a, uh, weeks and weeks of conversations. And then we began to have marriage counseling with them and help them patch up their marriage. And then they began to come to our Turkish fellowship. They said, this is the one place we feel at peace. This is one place we don't fight. (laughs) And so they began to join our fellowship. And over time, uh, he actually saw a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ appearing to him. And it just really impacted him as it does Middle Easterners. And so he's put his trust in Christ. So Mohammed is a believer now and excited for me to come back and baptize him and to start with our discipleship program in a couple of weeks. So you can keep praying for folks like him. The Lord is really working beautifully. The church that we started with in Cyprus, obviously we didn't start with a building. We started just opening our home. And we had a Turkish fellowship, singing songs, sharing from the Bible. Uh, Sooner or later, people would come, bring their friends. And that took time to grow. And then, of course, uh, we began an English side to that because we realized there was all these students that are interested in the gospel as well. So pretty soon we had two groups, an English one and a Turkish one. And then we didn't fit in our home. And uh, thankfully, around that time, uh, a family, another family that was kicked out of Turkey. In fact, they're from Connecticut, Ryan and his wife, Ness. Uh, We invited them to come and join us, and they opened a cafe. And the cafe became the venue for our church meetings. So even though there's loads of churches all over the place, and we've tried to get the government to let us use them, they won't let us. Uh, We are forced now to use this cafe as our church uh, venue. So on a given Sunday morning, we'll clear all the tables, bring out the chairs, and we'll have 30, 40, maybe 50 Turkish believers or Turkish-speaking believers gathered together for worship. In the evening, we do it all over again, but this time in English. 
And it's going to be, again, a smorgasbord of people from all over the Middle East, Africa, Asia, uh, whoever the Lord might bring to us on that given day. So it's a, it's a real joy to see those two fellowships really grow. And of course, it's not the type of church where people stay very long. They'll be there for three or four years, advancing their career, maybe doing some PhD work, uh, and then trying to springboard to somewhere else in Europe or, uh, or anywhere they can go, America. And so in this case, we have the joy of maybe three or four years ministering to them, uh, really discipling them, and then sending them off to wherever the Lord will have them. So here's Ryan and I praying for a couple, uh, an Iranian couple, Reza and Paria, who are now in Germany. <laughs> And, uh, but they've been rooted in their faith and now continue to serve him faithfully. The Turkish church then has grown over the years. Uh, and again, it can be really mixed. Anybody who speaks Turkish is welcome to that meeting. We'll have Iraqis and Iranians and uh, Afghans and anyone who might happen to speak Turkish and prefer that. Uh, of course, our real desire and prayer for that Turkish meeting is that we'll have local families come to know Jesus and, and grow. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, students come and go but we need to have a, a solid local backbone, as it were. And uh, thankfully, the Lord has brought some, in this case, Al-Parslan, his wife, Suna as well, who um, now have trusted in Christ and are following him faithfully for years. But it's not easy. As a Turkish Cypriot, there's always some social pressure. Now, it's entirely within our, we're entirely within our rights to share the gospel in Cyprus. There's freedom of religion, freedom of expression and meeting, and um, people can even change their religion. It's no problem at all. But there's still a lot of social pressure. And um, sometimes the government will ramp it up as well. Just the, uh, last week, Alparsan was called in by the police. And they said, you know, we'd like to, do you know this guy, Jerry and Ryan? And uh, we're just part of a larger investigation, you know, nothing about you. But it was all very intimidating, you know, and, and meant to intimidate. And he took it as an opportunity to share his faith. And so that was a good opportunity. And we just trust that as they get to know us more and more, they can know that we're not up to anything uh, wrong or clandestine. We're there to ultimately serve the community and lead them to the Lord's truth. So keep praying for the Turkish fellowship to grow. We, we regularly have baptisms in the harbor of Salamis. Uh, and uh, it'll always be a real mix of people from all over that area of the world. It's a real joy. In Easter, we held a big picnic there again on the beach in, um, in North Cyprus. And it was an opportunity to, after COVID, two years of COVID, to bring together all the believers and recognizing now there are uh, you know, half a dozen churches across the north of the island. Many other missionaries have been kicked out and started new fellowships as well. And so Brother Kemal, with whom I'm sitting here, uh, over 70 years old, he's been serving his people from, from, for decades, he was one of the first Turkish Cypriots to trust in Christ. He went back to the island and began to reach his people, but it's always been hard. He's the only Turkish Cypriot pastor that I know. And um, now that he sees you know, all these people coming to know the Lord, Turks and others, worshiping Christ in his island, he's just thrilled. So good things are happening across the island. Uh, God is bringing many fellowships out. And uh, during COVID, of course, it was difficult. We had to, like many of you, hunker down and we, were, we had to face certain restrictions. But we tried to be creative. And one of those things was, let's just get out and collect trash. And that was one of the things we were allowed to do. And so we went out to the beaches. My wife, my, my daughter, Ishail, put a little advertisement on Instagram and uh, invited anybody who wanted to to come and join her. And it's been amazing, really, through that effort. Of course, pretty soon it was in the newspapers. Uh, it was just a way of serving, loving our, our community and helping them realize that uh, we're there for them. But speaking of my daughter, Ishael is uh, engaged. Uh, her future father-in-law and mother-in-law are serving a church in Turkey, in Van. They're Kurdish background, Turkish believers. Their son, Yakub, has been in our uh, fellowship in Cyprus for uh, about two years. And so we've gotten to know them really well. They've known each other since childhood. And so it's a great joy to be able to give our daughter away to a local brother and believer. And uh, they have high hopes of going back to Turkey one day to serve there. We'll see how the Lord directs them. So their wedding is coming up soon. He did uh, propose again in front of the church. Uh, he wanted first the church to bless their relationship, my daughter and him, and just a very transparent relationship, and then proposed in front of the church. So they've been a real joy, an asset uh, to, our, to our work there. Together they lead up the youth group. And uh, again, it's a great 
opportunity and always a mixed group because there's people now, families in our fellowship from South Africa and Kazakhstan and, uh, and you know, Russia, wherever they might come from. But their common language is English and they're able to get together and worship. So good things are happening in the church. They're being established and strengthened. Uh, but I mentioned our discipleship program. Every year in September, we run a two-week discipleship program. And the point of this is that you know, there are believers all over the Middle East, including some who are with us, that are never going to have the opportunity to go to Emmaus Bible College or another you know, Bible institution. Uh, and they might not have uh, a lot of time or resources to do so. They might be the only believers in their families. What we offer then is a two-week uh, intensive Bible school in Cyprus. So they'll come from their countries, whether uh, Syria, Iraq, or uh, Libya, and uh, they'll come there for two weeks of vacation, and we give everything we've got to them. So it's basically Emmaus Bible College all rolled up into two weeks, <laughs> and it's very, very intense. This year, we are going to have another group. They come from all over the place here in this picture, some gals, one from Iran, another from Ethiopia, a gal from Iraq, some uh, the guys in the back from Lebanon. Every year, just whatever the Lord drags in, we're excited to disciple them, give them everything, and then just release them back to their countries to continue to serve Him. So last year's group, uh, COVID and all, we were able to graduate them and commission them back into the field uh, to make more disciples. That's the challenge, right? So pray for us. In two weeks, we're going to be running this program again. We have some students lined up, and it's always last minute. You know, who's going to come? How many are we going to be? Is everything going to work out? Sometimes the police can give us a hard time. Pray that it goes well and uh, we can really invest in them. And now, even though we're not allowed to live in Turkey, uh, my wife, in fact, last year was deemed a threat to national security. So she's not allowed to step foot in Turkey. Uh, I'm allowed to travel in and out temporarily. But, you know, the Lord has kind of blown open the, the roof, even though the doors are shut. And uh, through Internet and through uh, other online means, we're able to continue to minister to Turks who are spread out across Europe and other places. And so I often do TV programs with a TV channel called Kanal Hayat. This spring, they allowed me to invite my wife, and we did a, a series of programs on counseling. So again, uh, even though we're not in Turkey, uh, we're continuing to minister through uh, these means. And I also have written many, many books in Turkish over the years, and more recently I've translated many of these books into English. And so, in fact, I've got a few of these downstairs if you're interested in getting one. One is one of my favorite subjects, The End Times. And uh, this is just, again, uh, I think it's important that we have that discussion. You know, the Lord Jesus is coming back. We might not agree on the details, but let's, let's keep talking about this. Let's stay excited and focused on our, our, our great hope. Another more evangelistic book, a small book that I wrote during COVID, I call this our COVID crop, um, has to do just with reintroducing Jesus to the conversation. Uh, you know, people speak of him as if they know what they're saying, obviously, usually it's using his name in a, in a curse or something like that. In the Middle East, Muslims claim to believe in, in, in Jesus, but they don't know him. And there's so much, you know, paraphernalia that's been built up around this that people just need to, needs to be kind of stripped back. And let's get to know who he really was historically and biblically. And this is a small kind of book you can give to a neighbor and say, hey, Let's, let's get to know Jesus. Let's talk about him, who he really was. My wife did also during the whole COVID uh, adventure, sit down and put uh, pen to paper and write out some of the stories of the women that she's been ministering to all these years and kind of how her journey of how she came to the point of being able to minister to them. And part of it was not just to expose people to what's happening and encourage them uh, by these stories, but also to equip other believers so that other believers, particularly women, can say, hey, I could do this. You know, I could sit with someone and listen to them. I could, you know, and it gives certain tips. Even as you listen to the stories or read those stories, you can uh, get some ideas of how you might approach someone who's in depression, how you might answer the questions of someone who's going through just very deep sorrow or maybe sexual abuse or whatever it might be. So I'd encourage you to pick up these books if you're interested in them at all. Uh, and then books that I've written in the last few years are, uh, one was Dear Muslim Friend, kind of a compilation of many of 
the answers that I give to Muslims on a regular basis. These are small books that I just hand out to people. You know, in the churches in Turkey, people come into the churches all day long asking questions. And, you know, it's always the same questions. So we just kind of compile these in a little book and give them a book along with a New Testament. And I've made that available also in English. There's just simple questions they're always asking. And this is if you have a Muslim friend, definitely pick up this book and you can share it with them and say, can you read this? Uh, I heard someone talk about this, and maybe we can discuss it later. Uh, but now, as I said, like the story of Muhammad, many people today, are younger people in particular, are saying, I'm not a Muslim. Uh, and they just kind of jump ship to agnosticism. What do you do with them? Well, to close the back door, I wrote another book, which is Dear Skeptic Friend, uh, so that people know that you know, the, the questions they're asking or that are being thrown out there by agnostics or skeptics, they have answers if they'd only stop to listen. But again, I've made these available in a very simple, small book, as opposed to the big tomes that usually come when it comes to those kind of heavy subjects. So um, you can get have access to any of these books downstairs if you want to pick some up. If you, if you don't uh, have the time now, you can look on Amazon. They're all available on Amazon. Now, the Lord opened other doors while I was... Uh, when I was expelled from Turkey, and one of those was Bulgaria. Believers there uh, invited me to come and speak, and they quickly caught on to this idea, we want to make disciples. And so they bought this old decrepit home and said, let's turn it into a little Bible school. And so in Bulgaria, for the last five or six years, we've been having regular seminars, and we've begun a yearly Bible school. And uh, we had the joy of graduating the first class, and then uh, we've continued. I go there every uh, four or five months to give more lessons. And uh, of course, it's not just lessons. It's also work that we do, sometimes in the garden together, evangelism. And that old ugly house has become this beautiful house. They've all worked on it very, very, very hard, really with their own resources. The Lord has been really gracious in helping them. And so we had the joy of graduating a second group of uh, believers from that discipleship program. You know, Bulgarians, they've been, uh, they're part of the EU, and these Bulgarian Turks have gone many places around the, the European Union. And wherever they go, they start Turkish fellowships. And so we really felt it was important to disciple them, train them, so that when, wherever they might go, they can really be sound in their understanding of the gospel. As I said, I do have a chance to go to Turkey from time to time. And when I do go, it's a joy to connect with old friends. Hard to believe it's been more than nine years since we left Turkey. But, um, you know, when I do go back, the thrill is this, is these are people that we had the chance of leading to Christ or discipling. Uh, this fellow here next to me, Elias, uh, was part of our youth group. Uh, but now he's an elder in the church, you know. So God is building up those churches. Even we cannot be there. Uh, God is faithful. It's his church, ultimately. And as I said, they are continuing to be uh, kind of mobbed by people on a regular basis, coming to the churches, asking for material, never met a Christian, want to hear the gospel or want to see the inside of a church. So, you know, the, the work in Turkey continues well, despite the fact that many missionaries have been kicked out and they're kind of, they've, had, they've been left on their own. But God is, is faithful. One uh, last element, important element of our work has to do with the women that we've been helping with our at-risk ministry, at-risk women ministry. Six years ago, my wife, who was a counselor, went to a refugee camp in Turkey and had a chance to meet with a bunch of young Yezidi women who were housed in a refugee camp. And uh, they were quick to tell her all the you know, horrible stories of what they've been through. She found out many of them were suicidal. After a week of, you know, ministering to them, she felt like, you know, we've got to be able to give them more than a shoulder to cry on uh, and, and just, you know, food and whatnot. They need a hope in the future as the exiles in, in, in Babylon needed, right? A hope in the future. And so we began to kind of brainstorm, what can we do? Well, Cyprus is uh, it's a, it's a university island. Could we bring some of these gals over to Cyprus? And that's what we began to do. So for the last six years, we've brought over uh, six gals from Iraq and Iran uh, to study in Cyprus. And uh, they become like our daughters. They don't live with us, but we meet with them regularly. Uh, they all have their own homes. One of these gals has put her trust in Christ and uh, has been discipled by my daughter, Ishail. So she's getting ready to be baptized and join our discipleship program. So now as that, as those uh, six years are winding up, several of those girls have graduated and are going back. Uh, but last year, when things went up in air, went up in smoke in Afghanistan, we thought, you know, Lord, what 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 should be our response to this? Uh, we can't just stand around idly. 
And we thought, you know, we have this scholarship program that's worked really well. Let's see if it will work for Afghans. We don't know anyone uh, there, but let's just, uh, we just said yes to the Lord and what he might have. We started writing to people who we knew were rescuing people out of Afghanistan. And one thing led to another. In fact, the, the, one of our Yezidi girls soon said, hey, there's, there's a gal I saw on Facebook that's really desperate. Can you try to write her? And so we realized very quickly that there's a lot of uh, Afghans who were able to flee one way or another out of Afghanistan. Uh, and we're waiting for you know, applications and whatnot to go through. But there's a number of activists, women in particular, that were just... Uh, that were locked in houses and were back in, in Kabul and other places around Afghanistan. And so we began to really seek them out. And pretty soon the word got out and about uh, about 16 girls have ended up now coming to Cyprus. Many more than them began to write us and show interest in coming. But of course, they need a transcript and they need a passport and they need to know a little bit of English. Uh, and so it's been our joy to welcome these 16 girls over the last few months to study in Cyprus. And again, one of the things the Lord did that just really confirmed this is we approached the local university and said, you know, we're thinking of doing this. Would you be willing to partner with us? Maybe give them a scholarship. And the university said, we will give you 100% scholarship for whoever you bring from Afghanistan, which is a huge answer to prayer. So uh, we, uh, you know, armed with this, we began to invite more and more gals to come over. And uh, it's, it's been a wild ride. As you can imagine, it's very risky for those uh, young women to get their, their transcripts and their passports and their visas and to go to the airport. Oftentimes they are, you know, they use the burqas to kind of hide from the Taliban who are there searching and wanting to know. They don't want young women to be fleeing their country. These are potential brides for them. So they have to pose as old women or uh, often have to, they, they often have to find some male uh, who is going to pose as a relative and then help them through. So they are very ingenious in the things that they do. None of these gals, to our knowledge, are believers. And we are serving them for the love of Christ. And yet as they come to our island and they come to our home, we regularly meet with them. We serve their, their regular needs uh, for Easter. We were doing eggs and having a little uh, story about the resurrection. Um, they've all really heard the gospel in one way or another, and hopefully they're seeing it lived out in our lives as well as we serve them. So from time to time, we do little outings, uh, things like uh, strawberry picking, just to help them normalize. These women have been through so much trauma. And so my wife, does trauma counseling along with her Persian assistant with each one of these gals. And of course, they've been through horrible things. And it's not just since the Taliban came. It's been all along. Things that they suffered at home, all kinds of neglect and just horrible stories. Uh, but they, they, they're, they're very resilient to their credit and very loving, very caring. And we've had just a, a beautiful experience so far. So here you can see they're not all there, but the girls that were out with us that day on the outing, uh, women from uh, mixed in some of our Yezidi Iraqi gals with along with our Afghan girls and then even some of the women we've helped to flee from Iran. So this ministry has blossomed over the years and we're helping women from across the Middle East that are uh, suffering in one way or another and need a new home. So the night before we left they they uh, gave us these Afghan garments and wanted us to wear them. They were very proud that uh, they can uh, really kind of call us mother and father, and it's such a joy to be that for them. All of them, as I said, have been to our fellowship at one degree, to one point or another just to appreciate the folks there who minister to them. Even while we're gone this summer, some uh, believers from our fellowship have been taking them out uh, driving or taking them to the sea and learn how to swim. Just basic things that they've never had an opportunity to learn in Afghanistan. So these are beautiful young women, uh, and we already have another uh, 10 or 11 in the pipeline to come in the next month. So you just, if you pray for us and uh, ask the Lord just for grace and wisdom, uh, this ministry is supported through CMML at Associated Ministries at Risk Women of the Middle East. So God is doing something real special there. We often kind of have to pinch ourselves and what are we doing? You know, bringing these women out of Afghanistan. What a huge responsibility. But we feel it's been the Lord from the beginning uh, that has been opening the doors. Now, finally, just with regard to our own family, as you mentioned, our daughter 
tears up, has finished up high school, graduated, and now is getting ready to start at Emmaus later this week. So tomorrow we're headed back to Chicago and uh, drop her off at Emmaus. Pray for her in her transition. It's always a difficult thing as an MK coming back to America where you feel like a foreigner. You know, she was born and raised in the Middle East, and this is a foreign country to her. Uh, Our other daughter, Ishael, is getting married the 1st of October. So we have wedding plans to finalize when we get back to Cyprus. Pray that all that comes together. And then we have our son, Gabriel, uh, who's, um, uh, we're just thankful that he has some good Christian friends there. But uh, it's, uh, you know, when you're that young, tender, teenage uh, time it's it's difficult being cool and your parents are not so cool and it's a difficult season that many of you can relate to but just pray for him and uh, his growth spiritually uh, prayer requests just as we wrap up and i hope you have questions i'll be happy to take those but prayer requests you know our hope and prayer is that god's word keeps spreading across the middle east uh, really we are incidental to god's work God keeps working, his kingdom keeps growing, the the gospel is preached, and through many ways and many means, God is revealing himself to people, and it's just our joy to have a part in this, and to see uh, him use us in one way or another, as he uses all of us. So, uh, we just keep praying that those channels will be open, that the word of God will keep spreading, even though missionaries are being kicked out, friends like Andrew Brunson, who many of you followed his case uh, were, are vilified to this day, treated as a spy in Turkey. It's a fascinating story. In fact, he wrote a book about it called God's Hostage, which is well worth reading if you're interested in that story. But, you know, one thing that, that became very clear during all that uh, situation is that no matter what the enemy throws at, at, at the gospel, at the church, and at God's uh, servants, God's word is not chained, says Paul. You just can't stop it. And uh, in fact, sometimes to the opposite, the more the enemy tries to stifle the growth of the gospel, the more it just keeps sprouting up other places. And so, you know, we often look at the news coming from the Middle East and hear of pastors being imprisoned and others being martyred. And we think, oh, horror of horrors, what's happening? You know, the reason those regimes are responding and reacting in that way is because there is so much happening, is because they don't, they, they can't control it. And uh, God is really doing amazing things. In countries like Iran, there's millions of believers meeting secretly. And the same for, for, can be said for uh, many of the other countries, including Egypt and uh, countries in the north of Africa as well. God is just doing beautiful things. And we can't often speak of these openly. They're not going to be publicized in any, uh, any, any newspapers here on earth, but I'm sure they're featured in, in, the, in the headlines of heaven. Uh, our prayer also is that Cyprus being even it's a small island, we, we pray it will be a catalyst where as students and others come there, even for a short period of time, it will be the, the time in their life when they uh, commit themselves fully to Christ and leave Cyprus changed people. You know, I always often reflect on this, the story of Paul. He, he came to, island, to the island uh, as Saul, Saul and Barnabas. And, uh, and yet he leaves the island as Paul, uh, which is a Greek name. And, and he had had some experiences there, including seeing the governor of Paphos, the Roman governor, come to know Christ, whose name was actually Paul. And I wonder sometimes, did he, take, did he borrow his name? But it's a sense in which he took on a new identity and realized, you know, yes, I'm a Jewish rabbi, but God's work is bigger than this. And God is reaching these Gentiles. And, uh, and it's time to be all things to all men. And he took on the Greek name and became the apostle to the Gentiles. Ironically, I've done the same thing. I have a Turkish name. And so around Turkey and Cyprus, they know me by my Turkish name, Jan Nurolu, not by Jerry. In fact, when the police were looking uh, for me and uh, sometimes interrogating people about me in Cyprus when I first got there, they were asking for my Turkish name, not for my English name, because that's the name they know me by. I just pray that Cyprus will be an island where where that transformation keeps happening, that people come or become new, uh, new, new, new people with a new sense of mission and vision for God's work. And also just for the local church that we minister to, that it would remain strong, united, focused on uh, the, the, the goal of uh, reaching people for Christ. As any church, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy not to love each other and care for each other as we should. It's easy not to be intentional about our mission work as we should. So uh, we are just as 
real people as any of you are uh, with the same, same uh, you know, tendencies. So pray that God's work will continue to thrive in these lands. So as we wrap up, if you have any uh, questions, I'd love to try to answer them. Uh, anybody have any questions? It's been a while since I've been here. I think six years maybe. So things change quickly. Yes. Yes. Well, it's always quite difficult coming back to the States in one way because I was raised, I was born and raised in South America where my parents are still missionaries. So when people ask me, so where is your home? That's a very difficult question for me to answer. The easy answer is uh, heaven is my home. (laughs) Um, And that's uh, really the best answer. But uh, I grew up in Bolivia till I was 17. I've only spent five years in the U.S. when I was studying at Emmaus. I met my lovely wife. Uh, But the last 20, 20 plus years, I've been in the Middle East. So we enjoy coming back to the States for short visits and and meeting meeting folks like yourselves. But uh, we, we definitely think of Cyprus and the Middle East as our home. Our children were born there. And uh, really, uh, nine years ago when we had to leave Turkey, that was very difficult because we'd really invested everything there, loved the folks there, felt part of the, you know, the, the church network and everything. And suddenly having to leave that and going to Cyprus was very difficult. But over time, God has given us a real heart for the island, for the people there, and for the opportunities he's put before us. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. 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 Well, it's a good question. And it's, uh, it has to do just with the intricacies of politics. Turkey likes to uh, present Cyprus as if it's an autonomous, independent nation where everybody knows that Turkey actually, you know, subsidizes and props up Cyprus, but they like to present it to the world as an autonomous nation. And because of that, in order to kind of continue to uphold this, uh, this, this farce, they uh, allow people like myself who are banned in Turkey to actually live in, in Cyprus. Uh, now, people have been kicked out of Cyprus as well, so there's no guarantee uh, of how long we'll be able to be there and serve there. We don't know, but we're grateful for the opportunity we have now. Yeah. Anyone else? Yes. Or if you have more questions, please. Yes. So we rent apartments for them. So each one of them uh, will go into an apartment with three or four other girls. And uh, so we've rented five or six different apartments. And so I give them some money for the kitchen and uh, some allowance, usually $60, $70 a month for each one of them. And they come and go to the university on their own. And so the whole idea, the system is set up so that they can have a normal life, as it were, be somewhat independent. Uh, We're not carrying around by the hand. At the beginning, we help them with many of the practical things, just getting things set up. The wife, of course, meets with each of the girls with her assistant once a week. Uh, But as as time goes on, they become more independent, more sure, and uh, they have they take care of their own food and needs. But once a week or every other week, we invite them all to our house and we have a big meal together and uh, do different outings to encourage them. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it can be sometimes a bit overwhelming when, you know, five or six different apartments and paying the rents and the electricity and the water. And I get messages while I'm here. Our electricity is cut. So I'm going online and trying to make sure that's paid up. That's all funded through CMML. So CMML has been terrific just keeping that in the forefront. In fact, uh, the the newest CMML magazine has a whole article about our work with these Afghan girls. But it it definitely is something that's beyond uh, anything we could have imagined. But we just stepped out in faith and said, God, we want to be where you're working. And uh, we know there's so many other people that are suffering in, in, in Afghanistan, other organizations that are working to get them out, believers especially. Um, but uh, this is one kind of niche that we have, uh, people who can study, and we're particularly targeting gals that were uh, activists, that were targets uh, of the Taliban. You know, for example, one gal that, that um, we've been helping, uh, she, her name is Sima. She was the one we saw on Facebook, and she... Uh, you know, even before Taliban came, one day in class, a fellow student 
gets up and yells, Allahu Akbar, and blows himself up. And it's the kind of things that they were living through. But she was on Facebook regularly criticizing the Taliban until the Taliban took over. And suddenly she has to go into hiding. Uh, now, the problem is many people kind of saw the writing on the wall and had gotten applications with the State Department or fled to Pakistan or one thing or another. But people like her were completely stuck. And so those are the kind of young women that we've focused on that no one else is able to help. But, uh, you know, we can bring them to the island. We have a memorandum we sign with them and we say, hey, you, we have, you have five years of studying here. But, you know, you need to think about your next step. Can you move to another place? Can you apply to some country? Can you learn Turkish and make a living for yourself here? Whatever you need to do, you have five years to figure it out. And, and we'll be here with you, walking with you uh, throughout that time. So it's a, I would say that of those girls, several have already asked us for Bibles uh, and, and material. They're, they're obviously very interested in the gospel. We really want to make it clear that in our helping them, there are no strings attached. We're not trying to force them one way or another or assume that they can become Christians. We are genuinely wanting to love them for the sake of Christ. And just like Christ healed maybe thousands of people who, who never ultimately trusted in him. But he did it because it's the right thing to do. And uh, we want to do that. And we trust that many will come to know him and believe in him. And it will have a ripple effect in the, in the long run. Yeah. Any other qu- questions? Yeah. I'm going to ask my daughter to sing us a Turkish song as we wrap up. Uh, as she gets ready, though. If, again, uh, any more questions? I just want to give you one last chance, Tim. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I've been threatened a few times uh, when our three friends were killed in Malatya in 2007. You remember, three uh, brothers were, were, were killed, martyred in Malatya. Uh, and and the, a list was produced in which my name was on that too, evidently. They intended to go further and continue to kill other Christian workers as well. Um, in the most recent events of Andrew Brunson, uh, you know, he was in prison and, uh, and all these accusations were being thrown at him. And I was reading the newspaper one day and there was my name. Uh, somebody thought that I was involved as well. And I was just throwing out names, trying to make connections. And so that was the first time that uh, the state government, the, the embassy in Nicosia actually reached out to the to Simamel and said, you need to talk to Jerry and Sarah. They should probably leave Cyprus. And it was a very difficult decision that just a couple of years ago. And we leave, you know, we, we had just opened this cafe and the church was really getting on its feet. I, in fact, during that time I was reading Nehemiah. I felt like this is no time to run. This is the time to stay here and, 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 and stay strong. But it was frightening, um, you know, proposition. You know, Turkey had gone so far as to imprison an American citizen. That was the unthinkable. That was a red line. And yet uh, there it was. And my name was in black and white in the, in the newspaper. And in fact, those articles then had been reproduced, uh, copy-paste in the newspapers in North Cyprus. And people were distancing themselves from me. And, you know, a lot of things were going around. So I actually went to the chief of police and I said, who I know. And I said, you've seen my name in the newspaper and the things that are being said about me. Um, and, and, and in fact, I got a few calls from some local newspapers saying, you know, what do you have to say about these things? I said, well, I wish you'd talk to me before reproducing these lies. Um, but the thing they always asked me, well, have the, has the police called you in yet? The assumption was that I'm guilty. So I went to the police and I said, listen, you know me, I know you. I'm here to give my statement. And he said, well, why? He said, well, all these lies are going around. I want you to get my statement and put it in black and white. He says, listen, I know you. I don't have a problem with you. We're friends. But if Turkey wants you, I'll put you on the next plane. I'll be, I'll be forced to do so. You know, and so that was a frightening experience. Um, but we decided to stay. Thankfully, in two or three uh, months later, it all kind of blew over and Andrew was released and he ended up in the White House and uh, we rejoiced, but you know, there's still, it's still frigid. The relationships there are, and, and Andrew is still very much perceived as a, as a spy, as, a, as someone who ruined the Turkish economy. So uh, there's always that threat there, uh, as soon as there's been personal threats. But at the end of the day, 
you know, we just feel so privileged to be able to represent the Lord and, uh, and, and be in that land where it's dark, but at the same time, so much opportunity right there before us. So my daughter's going to sing a song. The words are taken straight out of Psalm 37. So if you're uh, interested in following those words, but that's a psalm that we often reflect on where the Lord reminds his people that he has promised them an inheritance and that nothing can change that. God's kingdom is rooted in his promises and it's going to be built. You know, no one's going to have, no one's going to be able to, you know, one way or another get it off tracks, even though it might be delayed, even though it might be, might seem like it's being tarnished his name. Reality is uh, we who love Christ will inherit the kingdom with the saints. So uh, you can hear the song here. Thank you. 
Let's just end with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful to know that we can leave everything before you. We can trust in you for whatever challenges we have to, to date, today, and tomorrow. Lord, we're just so grateful to know that your kingdom is coming, that you, were, you are building your church. You've always proven faithful. And so we just fix our hope on you and your promises. Pray your continued blessing on this fellowship, continued vision for their role in your great work around the world. I thank you for their faithfulness uh, to us, but ultimately to you and to seeing your kingdom expanded. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to help us each to be attentive to your spirit, Lord, what it is that you want us to do, wherever we might be, Lord, where it is that you want to use us. And so we entrust ourselves into your hands again. In Christ's name, amen.